Welcome to Post Game with Paul Golden, a sports and faith podcast. I'm your host, Tim Donnelly. Thanks for joining us. Today, our guest is NBA Hall of Famer, the legendary Pat Williams. Pat is best known as the co-founder of the Orlando Magic and the former general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers and Chicago Bulls. This faithful follower of Jesus Christ will share lessons learned from his lengthy career in the sports world. You'll also enjoy his insightful advice and his funny stories along the way. Be sure to stay tuned to the very end for a fun one-on-one fast break with Pat Williams. And now here's today's Post Game with Paul Golden podcast. Paul Golden here. I'm with Pat Williams, co-founder of the Orlando Magic. He's a former general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers. He did that for 12 years. Uh, he won an NBA championship with the Sixers back in 1983. And in 2012, he was voted into the NBA Hall of Fame. Pat Williams is a prolific author, motivational speaker, and an all-around great guy. And it's great to have Pat Williams on uh, the Post Game Podcast. So, Pat, welcome. Thank you, Paul. Nice to talk to you. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Gl- glad you're there joining us from Orlando. Tell us, since it's a faith and sports podcast, let's start with your faith. How did your faith in Christ begin? Well, Paul, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, was a church-going kid. My mother uh, took me to church Sunday school every morning. Every Sunday morning, I went to uh, Wake Forest, a, a Baptist school at the time in Winston-Salem. And uh, so I grew up in that environment, but I I never really understood the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that came later in my life. I was 27 years old, uh, running the Phillies minor league team in Spartanburg, South Carolina, uh, when uh, the claims of Christ became clear to me. And I responded to his invitation to uh, uh, hear his uh, his little knock uh, on the door of my heart, according to Revelation 3.20. And I invited him into my heart and into my life. And he came in, I mean, big time. Uh, It was a dramatic change in my life. Uh, That was in February of 1968, 53 years ago. I've been a Christ follower ever since. It's made, obviously, a huge difference in my life. Well, that's great to hear. On your spiritual journey, Pat, what are some spiritual disciplines that you incorporate on a daily or weekly basis that help you grow in your faith? Paul, I don't think you can function as a Christian if you're not spending uh, time every day in, in the Word of God, in the Bible, uh, not only reading it, but studying it and memorizing it and making it part of your life. That's our spiritual food. And if you miss days uh, without that food, just like uh, food for your body, you're going you're gonna to suffer. You're going to feel it. And so it's awfully important to, to stay Im- embedded in God's Word. And uh, there are many different ways to do that. Uh, but uh, the main thing is to have some sort of a system and that you're regularly spending time in, in God's word. And the other thing I would point out is the privilege of prayer. Uh, God hears our prayers. Uh, he answers them according to his timetable, according to his will. And we have the privilege of talking to God anytime, any place, in any circumstances. And it's important as Christians to take advantage of that, uh, that we have a heavenly father who wants communication with us, and that is called prayer. And I think it's also important, uh, the discipline of listening. God answers prayer, and he communicates to us through circumstances, through other people, 
oftentimes through that still small voice in our brain, in our head, we will miss out hearing that if we're not quiet and uh, secluded for periods of the day. And, and then the third discipline, Paul, is being alert and aware when we have opportunities to share our faith. Uh, that's how the message continues on. That's how uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus and his, his 12 disciples uh, got the word out, and that word continues to go out centuries later, and, and now it's our opportunity. We've got the baton in our hands uh, to pass our faith on to other people, and so we need to be alert to those opportunities when we can share the, the claims of Christ with others. That's so true, Pat. Who were some of the spiritual mentors or influencers in your life, kind of along your career path, your spiritual journey? Who who are those men or women that impacted you? Well, Paul, there have been many, many. One that comes to mind immediately is uh, Bobby Mountwiss, a former Major League ball player uh, who was our uh, coach and then the manager of our team in Spartanburg, uh, a godly man. He had a huge influence on my life. Bobby Richardson, the former Yankee second baseman, an old spokesperson for Christ. Uh, Bobby, to this day, uh, continues to influence so many, including me. Uh, while I was in Spartanburg, the owner of our team, a man named Ari Littlejohn, godly man, a, a, a strong Christian, had a huge impact on me and my life. Those are some who come to mind. But more recently, Rich DeVos, the, the co-founder of the Amway Company, who uh, bought the team here in Orlando 30 years ago. You know, one of the world's wealthiest men, but... Uh, one of the world's strongest, most outspoken Christians and and rich, uh, just the way he lived his life and the way he uh, dealt and treated people, you know, left a huge mark on me. And and I still have fond memories of him to this day, even though he passed away a few years ago. Pat, how has your faith in Christ impacted, call your front office decisions or your career? How, how does that play out? It's one thing to have a personal relationship, but how does that play out in the public uh, setting of the workforce? Well, the word that comes to mind, Paul, is the word wisdom. We have the privilege as Christians to go to God at any point and, and ask for wisdom. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. And I don't know whether we're aware that rubies are more valuable than diamonds. And, and you get enough rubies together, you're going to be a billionaire. But the Bible tells us that, that wisdom is more precious than all these riches. And so uh, the beautiful thing is we can go to God at any point. So when opportunities, when decisions have come before me, I've always asked God for wisdom. Uh, he promises to give it to us. He promises to give us give it to us in abundance. And he also promises that uh, he's not going to scold us for coming to him too often and asking for wisdom. You know, we can come unlimited numbers of times and we can ask for wisdom. So when decisions have come before me, even to this day, uh, I'm always asking God, please give me wisdom on this so I can make the right decision. Wisdom is the ability to take God's principles today and give you a, a view into the future uh, so that you can look down the road a piece and uh, God will help you do that. You're not going to see all the way to the finish line, but he'll give you wisdom enough to see to the next stop sign. And uh, by asking him, you can... Uh, have a much, much uh, more productive journey. Mm, so good. Speaking of wisdom, you and your wife have raised 19 kids uh, over the years. Uh, 14 are adopted of those 19, and you certainly had to have a lot of wisdom and a lot of patience. Uh, tell us about, just briefly, about your family and maybe what led you to, uh, to adopt. Paul, we do have a big family, 19 children. 14 of those children 
were adopted from other countries. And um, we have learned, uh, well, I've often said that uh, we have experienced just about everything that parents can experience in raising children. We haven't missed too many marks along the way. So we, uh, I, I think we would be called uh, parenting veterans. What have we learned? What do we know now that we didn't? I, I think a couple of things come to mind. Number one, your, your children need your time. You've got to be involved in their lives. Uh, my kids, when I was raising them, every morning at breakfast, Dad, are you coming to our swimming meet today? Uh, are you coming to our baseball game? Are you coming to the cheerleaders show? I mean, on and on it went. They want you there. You, you need to be involved with them. Uh, secondly, one thing we did, we packed them into the big van every Sunday morning and off they went to Sunday school and church. At 18, uh, they can begin to, you know, to make their own decisions about that. But one of the things we, we learned about parenting is that children have to know at 18, they're moving on. Uh, they're going in one of three directions. They're either going to college, they're going to go to into the military, or they're going into the workforce. Those are the only three options I've seen. Uh, staying at home and playing video games all day is not an option. And so at eight, we made our kids very clear that at a young age, that at 18, uh, you're going in one of those three directions. We'll be supportive of you, whichever your decision is, but, but you're moving on and you're going out into the real world as young adults and get ready. We didn't spring it on them when they were 17 and a half. They knew that from the time they were very young. So those are just a few thoughts that come to mind. That's great. 19 kids, 18 grandchildren. A practical question. How in the world do you keep track of birthdays and wedding anniversaries? How does that work? Well, fortunately, my wife, Ruth, uh, works for the Franklin Covey Company. And, and she uh, has, been, for many years, been teaching time management and organizational skills and how to use your Franklin Planner. And so uh, Ruth is on top of every detail. Uh, nothing, nothing slips her eye. I am very, very blessed that Ruth is a Franklin Covey uh, instructor, and boy, is she top on top of every every date, every birthday, every anniversary, every everything. So I'm very fortunate. Never a dull moment in the Williams household. I'm here with Pat Williams. He's on the uh, Post Game with Paul Golden podcast. Uh, certainly a man of your your career, an incredible career. You've experienced ups and downs in life, and uh, as Christians, we're not immune from hardships. And uh, one hardship that you've been through is uh, cancer. And uh, could you tell us a little bit about your bout with cancer, multiple myeloma? Well, Paul, that came up uh, about 11 years ago. I went in for my yearly physical, and they saw something in my blood work that they weren't pleased with. And that led to further investigation. And the next thing you know, they uh, informed me that I was dealing with a blood cancer called multiple myeloma. Uh, they told me that it was a tough form of cancer. Life expectancy was two or three years. Uh, I'm in year 11 now, and uh, I've responded well to all the different forms of chemo. I did not volunteer uh, to get into this world of cancer, but uh, God picked it for me. And I've made a decision that I'm going to be outspoken about it. I'm going to be uh, an encourager. I'm going to talk to people about their cancer problems. Uh, we wrote a book a few years ago called The Mission is Remission, uh, which I told my cancer story uh, designed to help others as they 
get this staggering news when you first get that report. It's, it's, it's crushing, but it's all part of God's plan. And I've learned so much and uh, so many different issues about cancer that have become clear to me uh, that I'm able to be a resource for people to call me up or email me or stop me uh, who may want to talk about what they're dealing with. And I'm always trying to be available to them to be of assistance. So I think the point is we don't want to waste our, our sufferings. We don't want to waste our periods when uh, we have bad news in our life. God's still going to use it to his, to his glory. You were such an encouragement to my own family when my mother-in-law a few years ago faced her own bout with multiple myeloma. You were so kind and gracious to uh, send her the book, The Mission is Remission, and uh, personalized it. And that was such a, an encouragement to her. So I know that for, from firsthand experience of your, your care for not wasting your own cancer. Switching from this back to sports, you, you were involved in baseball with the Phillies, but then you're kind of known for your time uh, with the Sixers and with starting Orlando. But I think maybe some don't know that you were also GM of the Chicago Bulls and Atlanta Hawks, in addition to Orlando and Philly. A few years ago, ESPN came out with a great documentary, uh, 30 for 30, on uh, the, kind of the start of uh, the magic in Orlando and your dream and co-founding that. Maybe just briefly share that story and maybe how your faith played a role in stepping out to start an NBA expansion team. Well, I'd been around the NBA for quite a while at that point. I had spent 12 years with the Sixers. We had had a good run. We won a title in 83, but I was getting a little restless. I, w- I was uh, seeking a new challenge. I think that was God speaking to me. Uh, the ultimate challenge in any sport is to uh, start up your own team. It really gives you an opportunity that's it's very rare. You know, those opportunities don't come up very often. And so I uh, had joined up with some uh, business leaders here in Central Florida. They were all godly men. They were believers. And, uh, and, and that encouraged me. They, they wanted me to leave Philadelphia and come down here, uh, take a huge leap of faith, and try and help start up an NBA team from scratch and convince the NBA to put a new team in Orlando, Florida. It was a jump of faith. Uh, Orlando at that time in 1986 was a small uh, market. It was not big. And today, Orlando's the 18th largest media market in the country. But back then, it was a small uh, southern town. It was quite a leap of faith. But God kept saying, go for it. And uh, we packed up, left Philadelphia, moved down here in June of 86, uh, tried to rally the community quickly, try and move quickly on getting an arena built. And it all came together in June of 1987 when the NBA awarded four new teams, uh, Miami, Orlando, Charlotte, and Minneapolis. And uh, we made it. We got it. We got our team. Uh, it was a huge moment. It was a, a powerful moment. It something we'll never forget. I wrote a book about it called Making Magic, which told that whole story. So we've, we've been here now for uh, 35 years. They say you get sand in your shoes uh, when you come to Florida, and we've, we've become full-fledged Floridians. That experience uh, was a powerful one in my life, and now uh, we're trying to do it all over again and bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. So I'm back in the uh, potential expansion world. We're, we're working hard at it, and we'll see what becomes of this whole effort, but uh I, I, I still have uh, the, the drive. My roots, Paul, as you mentioned, are in baseball. I grew up as a baseball kid. I uh, played baseball in high school, played all the sports in high school, played, was a catcher at Wake Forest, 
spent two years as a catcher in the Phillies minor league system and then ran front offices for them in their minor league system for five years. So uh, my roots go way back into baseball and it would be a nice way to uh, round out my career by uh, bringing major, helping to bring Major League Baseball here to Orlando. The Orlando Dreamers, right? Yeah, we're the Dreamers. You know, everybody comes to this area with big dreams, whether it was Walt Disney and his dreams and or Arnold Palmer with his golf dreams. But people come here from all over the world with big dreams. And so we, I think Dreamers is the right nickname uh, if we can land that team here. Going back to Philadelphia, not with the Phillies, but when you were the GM of the Philadelphia 76ers, if I'm not mistaken, you were very influential in, in really starting uh, the chapel programs for the NBA. Can you share about that? In the summer of 1978, we made a trade. We sent George McGinnis uh, to Denver, and uh, in exchange, Bobby Jones came to Philadelphia. Bobby Jones, a strong, strong Christian and and when he arrived, he came to me and he said, I would like to uh, start a chapel program, you know, here uh, with, with my teammates. And he asked for my help. And uh, on the first Sunday that was available, I guess this was now February of 79, we had a chapel service before the game. The Philly was playing Milwaukee. We gathered, I don't know, three or four people. There was not, not a huge turnout, but as far as I know, that was the first chapel service uh, in the NBA, and uh, it is spread to the point now uh, that every team does have a chaplain. There's a there's a gathering before every NBA game. Uh, both teams come together voluntarily and uh, for about 15 minutes to hear a, a word from the Bible, to pray together. Starting in 1981, at every All-Star weekend, uh, we've had an all-star chapel service every Sunday morning. Obviously, this past all-star weekend, we didn't because it was hurriedly done and a uh, one-day event. But that all-star service, which started in, in 1981, has grown and become a huge part of the weekend as well. So it's been very exciting to see God work through through the world of basketball. That, that same thing is going on in baseball. It goes on in football. The Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Athletes in Action, there's some wonderful sports ministries out there that are doing terrific work. One of my childhood heroes, spiritual heroes growing up was uh, Dr. Wendell Kempton. I know he's a good friend of yours. And was he one of the men that you would have come in uh, for the chapel programs? Wendell, uh, dear, dear, beloved friend, we, we miss him to this day. When I was in Philadelphia in that period from 1974 to 1986, Wendell was there. Um, Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. His headquarters were there. And we had this extraordinary number of Christian athletes on the different teams. Julia Serving, Bobby Jones, Doug Collins. We had a bunch of Eagles. We had, in the Phillies case, it was Mike Schmidt, Bob Boone, Gary Maddox, Terry Harmon, and others, Jim Cott. And, and we would meet periodically at one of somebody's home. And Wendell would come in and teach the session. He related so well to athletes. He had an athletic background himself. He he uh, was accepted by these ball players, and they leaned on him. In fact, uh, at his funeral service some years ago in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, it was it was just amazing. All those ball players came back to be there. Uh, they all spoke. Many of them choked up, you know, as they were talking about Wendell and what he meant to their lives. I was talking not long ago with the Phillies catcher a bit long ago, Bob Boone, just talked to him last week. Wendell's name came up and 
uh, Bob said, he said, Sue and I uh, miss Wendell to this day. So uh, he was he was one of those guys that, that had the ability to relate the scriptures in an athletic setting. Not everybody can do that. But Wendell was was special. That was a powerful uh, memorial service. And you you were so gracious in, uh, in kind of emceeing, I call it, uh, the athletes that gave those those powerful tributes. In addition to all you've done, you've also found the time, I don't know how you've done it, to write so many books. I believe you have over 100 books that you've uh, written or co-authored. Book number 116 will be out in mid-May. It's called Revolutionary Leadership. That's the latest book we've done. Brian Kilmeade of Fox and Friends wrote the foreword. We look at the uh, the leaders who helped found our country. Many of them are, are, are very well known. Some are not so well known, but it was their leadership in every case that allowed our country to come into existence. It's a different look at leadership, but uh, these are the leaders that we all should all be grateful for because it was their courage and their strength and their leadership skills that allowed us to have a nation. So the book will be out soon, the middle of May, Revolutionary Leadership. Ravel is the publisher. I hope people enjoy it. I feel they will. I just finished over the holidays, a book you wrote about 10 years ago, Leadership Excellent. I, I thought it was right on the money, very practical, full of great stories and illustrations of all the books I've read of yours. That, that one's really stood out. But Leadership Excellence is kind of my my favorite. Well, I think it was probably, and looking back, the, the I've written many, many leadership books, but I think that was the uh, probably the most inclusive. We, uh, we focused in on the seven sides of leadership. And as you pointed out, we, uh, we packed it with stories and uh, illustrations, uh, moments from history, uh, personal experiences to, to try and illustrate these seven sides of leadership. And I'm, I'm glad that book was important to you, Paul. Thank you. That's one of the books that I recommend highly. If somebody says, uh, which one of your leadership books would help me the most? I, I generally point them to that. I'd agree. I think every Christian leader, if you're a man, a husband active in your church. That, that's a must read, uh, Leadership Excellence by Pat Williams. Pat, you've had so many experiences. There's got to be some funny story that comes to mind that you could share with our listeners, whether it's from the, the NBA world or baseball that just really uh, you think would uh, make us laugh. Probably would go back to my uh, early, my first year as a ball player, 1962. I, I signed with the Phillies, reported to their team in Miami that the same day, that I arrived, they had just signed a young pitcher from Canada named Ferguson Jenkins, and we were teammates for two years. In fact, I tell the story of uh, when it was my turn to catch, Fergie generally was on the mound that night. And so the one particular game, I remember, uh, there, oh gosh, there were four or five pass balls and five or six stolen bases. Fergie lost the game. He was not happy. And afterwards in the locker room, a writer went up to him and said, Fergie, by the way, Who's the toughest man for you to pitch to in the Florida State League? And he said, my catcher, Williams. And uh, I knew then I was in the twilight of a very mediocre career. Uh, that, that's a banquet joke circuit that I, I use out there occasionally to talk about my, my first memory. Uh, Andy Simonek, the old Phillies catcher, was our, was our manager. Andy uh, came up to me on my first day in uniform. I came out into the dugout and he said, Pat, are you nervous? Are you okay? Are you nervous? I said, Skip, I, I'm good. He said, well, in pro ball, uh, we wear the underwear under the uniform. Uh, <laughs> so I, I guess we could go on that way. <laughs> That's great. I used to shower before the games. It was less crowded then. 
<laughs> We're here with Pat Williams on uh, post game with Paul Golden. Hey, finishing up this interview. Uh, I like to call I call it fast break since we're uh, in the NBA basketball theme. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and you just say the first thing that comes to your mind. So are we ready for fast break with Pat Williams? Go ahead, Paul. Were you a better basketball player or baseball player? Baseball. The worst sports injury you've ever had. I never had a bad injury. That's good. Uh, I never I never missed a game in all my years playing football, uh, basketball, baseball. Yeah, I, I never had a, I never had an injury. Besides Orlando, what's your favorite NBA city? Philadelphia. What's your least favorite NBA city? Oh boy, Cleveland. Cleveland. As far as arenas go, which what's your favorite arena besides Orlando? Madison Square Garden. Now this is a big question. The greatest of all time, LeBron or Jordan? Jordan. The funniest player you've ever had on one of your teams? Daryl Dawkins. Chocolate Thunder, right? Yes. Were you there the night that he broke the backboard? Oh, yes. Craziest player that you had on one of your teams? Oh, boy. Jim Barnett. People don't remember him, but Jim was a real character. As far as toughness, who was the toughest player on one of your teams? Jerry Sloan. Hmm. Jerry Sloan. Chicago. In your mind, of all the teams you had, who was the greatest overall athlete that you ever had on your team? Julius Irving. Mm, The doctor. Best piece of advice that you have ever received? Don't waste your sufferings. Of all the books that you have written, is there one that you really like the best or stands out for you? The most recent. The Reluctant Leader has just come out. So I I, I hope that with each book, uh, they improve. You are in a foxhole fighting for your life. Who do you want in the foxhole with Pat Williams? Probably Scott Skiles. Yeah, remember Scott Skiles? Best sports movie of all time? Um, Hoosiers. Favorite Bible verse? Uh, John 14, uh, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Maybe the greatest statement made by any person in the history of the world, that that particular statement. Excellent. If I remember correctly, after Kobe Bryant's death, you were on Fox and Friends and you you gave a strong testimony. You might even mention that verse about uh, about that truth. When Kobe died, they asked me to come to New York and go on uh, Fox and Friends. The whole nation was just stunned. I prayed, Lord, what, what do I say here this morning? What do I say to a grieving nation? And God, uh, the Holy Spirit responded, for me and gave me those words. And you knew the family, you knew Kobe from the very first day. Well, we had signed his father way back in Philadelphia in 1975, Joe Bryant, who came out of Philadelphia, went to LaSalle. We signed him. He was, it was our player. And I remember the day uh, when Kobe was born. I guess it was right in that period, 77, Joe was on our squad and uh, interesting story. They knew this baby was coming. They didn't have a name for him. And uh, there was a Kobe restaurant on City Line Avenue. And uh, Joe and Pam Bryant were having dinner there. And uh, they were still talking about a name. And they said, why don't we why don't we just honor him? We're having dinner tonight. And that's how Kobe came about. His middle name is Bean. Joe, Joe's nickname was Jelly Bean. So he became Kobe Bean Bryant, a mixture of the restaurant and, and and the back part of Joe's nickname. Well, that's great. That's a great story. Outside of the Bible, is there a, a book that's impacted you significantly or a favorite book? Vecus in Rec came out in 1962. It was written by 
Bill Veck, the great baseball executive, the great flamboyant promoter. And uh, I read that book. It had a, a galvanizing effect on me. Uh, as a result of that book, I got to meet Bill Veck. And for 25 years, uh, he was a mentor to me. He was a, a, a sage. He was a life coach, a friend. And, uh, and it all started by reading that book. It's still the best sports book ever written, as far as I'm concerned. Still in print. Veck is in wreck. Magnificent piece of writing and, uh, and a terrific look in, inside the inner workings of baseball. The best trade you ever made. Well, we traded uh, $3 million of Fitz Dixon's money to, to get Julius Irving. Uh, that would probably be am among the best of them. One day we traded uh, Fred Carter to Milwaukee for two future second round picks in Philadelphia. That turned out to be uh, uh, Maurice Cheeks and Clint Richardson, two of our three guards on the championship team. Right, 1983 trade, but you can't hit home runs every time, right? Well, yeah, you don't you don't hit them all. Just like with the draft, you know, you you nail some big ones. Drafting Shaquille, drafting uh, Charles Barkley. I mean, there were some great moments, but there are also some moments that didn't work out. We got Mo Cheeks on the second round in 1978, and then we had traded a young forward named Mel Bennett to Indiana years before, and we ended up getting um, out of that uh, Andrew Tony. Some deals work, some don't work out quite as well. And I remember watching the NBA draft lottery and you're getting struck by lightning twice with uh, winning the number one pick back to back years. That was uh, that brought about the Orlando rules. We won it in 92. That's when Shaq came out. 93, we come back and win it again, uh, which the league was not happy with. And they, they now have set it up that uh, teams uh, deep in the draft who have had pretty good records, but they're in the lottery, have no chance. I mean, the odds are so remote. They want the worst teams to have the best chance. And so uh, we were very fortunate in 92, 93. And then we came back in 04 and won it again. Mm. And that was the year we, we took uh, Dwight Howard. So, uh, and then we had one other in 1996, we won the draft lottery in Philadelphia. So it's a, it's a wonderful feeling. Uh, when you stand up there and you see your card being turned over and uh, and, it, and it particularly helps if, if you win the draft lottery when there's a great player coming out, uh, which doesn't happen every year. Uh, but when there is a Shaq or a Dwight Howard or you've got a chance at Penny Hardaway, you know, those are those are the glory years. Do, do you watch every Magic game? Uh, pretty much. I don't, don't go to all of them anymore. Uh, I go to some and I watch, follow things very, very closely. I'm still very much involved in, uh, in watching them and uh, rooting for them and uh, staying on top of things in the NBA. But my main focus right now is this effort to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. That's what uh, has me consumed right now. And you're still going strong after all these years. What do you want to be remembered for at the end of your life, looking back? That I was a, uh, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and that I ha had in an influence on other people. I would also want them to know that the best way to live your life is when your greatest talent intersects with your strongest passion. Uh, you have found the sweet spot in your life. And that's where you want to live. That's where you want to work. That's where you want to get your paycheck, right in the middle of that intersection of talent and passion. That's the sweet spot. And I, I would want people uh, to look at my life and say, I, uh, I, I want to find that sweet spot just like Pat Williams did. 
Well, that's a great encouragement. Years ago, you probably don't remember this, but just showing what a gentleman and gracious, uh, godly man you are. I was in Orlando on a conference and a good friend of mine, Ken Shepard and I, I think I called you or texted you and you were so gracious. Hey, come on over. You gave us a, a wonderful tour of the practice facility there in Orlando, the front offices. You gave us some books. Uh, Ken was in baseball, uh, minor league baseball. So you you two hit it off. But I was very impressed that uh, a man of your uh, statue and busyness would take the time to to talk to Ken and myself. So that to me, that sums up what Pat Williams is all about. I, I thank you for your life and your influence on so many today. Thank you very much, Paul. And thanks for inviting me on the show here. Hey, thank you. It's been Pat Williams on the Post Game with Paul Golden podcast. Thanks for listening. We trust you were encouraged by the conversation with a legendary NBA Hall of Famer, Pat Williams. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd ask that you subscribe to the Post Game with Paul Golden podcast. This way, you'll never miss an upcoming episode. Also, forward this podcast to that sports fan you know and tell others about this unique sports and faith podcast. Share it with that Philly sports fan and the dad or mom who would be encouraged by Pat's lessons on parenting and spiritual disciplines. I'm your host, Tim Donnelly. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Post Game with Paul Golden Podcast. Post Game with Paul Golden Podcast.